What's up, everybody? We're on the Founder Hour. This is your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And for the first time, we're back with a guest that we have already sat down with due to popular demand. After we interviewed you, people were just hitting us up that they loved your story. My girlfriend was like, this is the best one you guys have done. And we've done 75 podcasts at this time. Wow. No, no joke, it's a top five. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, amazing. So not only are we excited. So it was good. good. Folks are, it was a winner. It, it was, was winner. It was great. It was great. So it's Brent Bolthouse, founder of Bungalow and Neon Carnival, and he's done so much work, and you guys can check out episode 28. That's the one that, that was the first one we released. But on this episode, we wanted to keep it more conversational, talk about Neon Carnival, which is coming up this Saturday. So today's Wednesday, so and Thursday, Friday. And two Saturdays Friday, after, right? There's two of them. So we're doing first weekend. Coachella weekend one and Stagecoach. And Stagecoach, but uh, we're not affiliated with Coachella. Not affiliated. We're not affiliated with Stagecoach. Not affiliated. So we say weekend one and weekend three. Weekend three. Great. Just for the, re- just for the record. Love it. Alrighty, we res- so we respect. So yeah. Brent, Paul Tillets. Did you get any feedback creation. from other people when you were on the podcast? Did anybody hit you up asking you about it? Did they tell you how you did? What did you think of it? There's anything else they wanted you to say that you didn't say? I, don't know. I mean, everything was great except for the guys that interviewed me. Besides that, everything was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, they're so yeah, bad, honestly. Guys, yeah, they, they have a lot so- of work to do. <laughs> they were like what the hell what's going on yeah. <laughs> so I, I so again we no we, i got we never... positive feedback i mean I, I think i don't know i mean sometimes people talk to me and sometimes they don't people that listen mm-hmm. to it liked it i yeah. think it was always you know it's certainly was well received i think yeah. at least by my friends obviously your friends or your your relatives are going to listen to stuff like that and they always are it's hey, amazing yeah, yeah. but i mean say, I'd be, yeah, i be like i said i'm more curious to your listeners and like your friends and yeah. your you know, as you guys are building your platform, like I think the main feedback that we got for this one was for folks that didn't even want to be in the hospitality space, perhaps they just resonated with the story of like not really knowing what you were going to do when you were young and going through what you did go through. And just the entire story itself was very inspirational. I think a lot of times people try to be inspirational, but their story is not inspirational. So I think that there are folks like yourself that through the story that you were able to tell and you told it so eloquently that people were like, okay, the, we might not 100% resonate with that, but just the fact that he was able to get through that means that we could get through whatever we're going to try to right. get through. So I think that's why people really liked it. So is it is it fucked up if we listen to the podcast now so I can remember what I said for this podcast? Just play it back right now? I think we remember most of it. And it was, we'll, we'll do a reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a reaction video. I should have, I mean, like, I know both of you guys because you're not nerds, yeah. but I know you guys already watched the last episode of Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, yeah, duh, right? I should have listened to the last <laughs> podcast so I knew. Yeah, I mean, I know people rewatching the whole show because it's been so long, right? Yeah, um, I know it's but, been I mean, a long quick time. Quick recap: you know, we talked about your upbringing, we talked about your childhood, kind of how you got into the nightlife scene and uh, bungalow and how that came about. But we didn't get to talk about Neon Carnival, so that's, that's true. Um, your other project. But before we do, I mean, w- give us an update. Like, is it has anything? Change in the last year. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot that's happened. Oh but, yeah. So in the last um, year. So in the last year, we closed a deal um, with Michael Mina. Okay. Oh nice. So he's our culinary partner now for, for all bungalow? bungalows moving forward. Wow. And we no more bear flag. No, I mean bear flag was this amazing. Was just like this amazing opportunity that they were below us. We were up. You know, we could build a dumb yeah. waiter. Yeah. Obviously. Um. So he's going to be our culinary partner, and we're doing. Um, a new bungalow in Long Beach in Belmont Shores, right awesome. on the marina, which is fantastic. It's great a place. great location. Um, and then we're doing one in La Jolla at the Westfield down in, in UTC, yeah. which is moving slower than we want, but 
I think it's Westfield. They just sold the company, so I imagine there's lots of changing yeah. of the guards. In that I, I remember space. you had mentioned San Francisco. Is that still in the works? Or? We're doing something up in, in the Bay Area. We still haven't really announced that yet, so I don't want to announce it here. Okay. But um, we're doing a project with yep. Michael Mina in the Bay Area. Love it. Which is pretty exciting, which will be more of a restaurant-driven concept than mm -hmm. a bar concept. Oh, so it's separate from the bungalow. Not necessarily separate, but just different. Yeah. So, but it's exciting because I think Michael is hands down one of the most talented chefs in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that he's built such a fantastic team. Pat, Patrick Yumel, who kind of runs um, his whole company, we've all been friends for a long time. And I think just the way they execute, I mean, to have almost 40 restaurants all over the world and executing them every single night. Yeah. pretty flawlessly he's figured out a system he's got a pretty amazing system so as we looked at how do we scale and open more bungalows how you know i needed a partner and obviously food is such a big component to any bar mm -hmm. you know maybe we got lucky in santa monica it's kind of like mm -hmm. hey we you mm -hmm. know food is you guys it, had done 14 together right we did 14 together yeah, yeah i remember yeah, we were talking that was about the first that. thing and so just the fact that you know, I'm lucky enough to get to work. Michael and we stayed friends this whole time and we always laughed. And my joke was like, oh, if I ever do a restaurant, you know, only be with Michael Mina. <laughs> so, Is he here too? He's in. He's based in San Francisco, but they have a restaurant at uh, Calamari at the Beverly Center here, which is a fantastic Italian food place. They have one in Glendale at the Americano. And they got, is it a bourbon, bourbon, steak bourbon, steakhouse. bourbon steakhouse, which is fantastic, yeah. right? So yeah. they're here, but, you know, they have, you know, the hottest restaurant in Dubai. They've got places in DC. They've got places in San Francisco. Obviously, they've got places in Hawaii. Yeah. They got places in Vegas. Like they kind of got places mm -hmm. everywhere. And honestly, if you could ever go to a Michael Mina restaurant, have a tasting menu from them, and just get like a ten course meal, it's unbelievable. You What's can't your recommendation? Where should we go? I mean, I think Michael Mina's signature restaurant in San Francisco now is. He did this like Middle Eastern spin on it because he's Egyptian, right. so he kind of has this. I mean, we're Middle Eastern. So I didn't know he was Egyptian. Speaking, yeah, he's Egyptian, yeah. uh, first generation, and so. Um, oh, wait, if his dad came here and he was here, does that make him first generation? Yeah, if his was dad was born here. No, his dad was born in Egypt. So yeah, yeah he's first, first generation. First generation. So, um, and it's just unbelievable, kind of his those flavors, yeah. right? And he with his like lobster and caviar and things that he does well and the frog wall like wow. he just kind of does this yeah I just, I could, it's I could so taste it, it he just got a michelin star for it so yeah, yeah he's he's a great show in uh area. for for the yeah just for this new menu wow. in the bay area so it's pretty it's pretty I'm amazing trip out to the bay area soon i just came back but i didn't know about it so yeah <laughs> i have to go back brent what's your role right now with bungalow and with just everything that you're doing what what do you just do day to day I have a baby, yeah. and then I have a baby. <laughs> no, um, which one's more work, the human baby or the business company baby? baby? <laughs> the company baby, by sure. I mean, yeah. my wife, like, she's quarterbacking the ba the real baby. Like, like she's really doing a fantastic job. Like, she's an amazing mother, and yeah. she spends a lot of time with the baby. And I'm birthing bungalows. So, shout out to the mothers. Yeah, shout out to mothers. And we see the baby on your social media. Very cute. He's so cute. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Babies right, are, we're going to interview him in like 10 years probably. Yeah. Babies do some cute <laughs> yeah. stuff. Definitely. The baby hour with Pat and Posh's babies. <laughs> You'll have your own babies one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll be, we'll be, uh, yeah. we'll be busy. Um, no, I mean, I spread my day now. Um, 
so obviously closing deals and then I get to go out and, you know, bootstrap mm-hmm. the next bungalow. So we're like out raising money, which is always fun and part of the deal and keeping obviously really focused on Santa Monica, keeping, you know, we're going in August will be our ninth year, well, which is a pretty great run in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, we're doing some exciting stuff in Santa Monica. Like we, we just started on Mondays, we've been doing a thing industry night for like the hospitality industry. And we have a DJ, we take out all the furniture out of the main bar and it's a dance floor. And it's been super fun for all the local recently. Yeah. We've been doing that for the last couple months hmm. and it's sort of catching wind with like all the hotel that in on the West side and restaurants and you know, the guys from farm shop come and Jelena, like they all, all the staff, yeah. they kind of yeah. come and they blow off some steam because most people in the hospitality space work right on Saturday and Sunday and they're busy and they don't really get a weekend. So we're sort of like, well, we could create a weekend for them on Mondays and it's been really fun. So that's every Monday? Every Monday at the bungalow is like, like dance party, mm, wow. which we've never done before, but it's pretty cool. So we got to go to one of those. Yeah. And then we just finished something last, last month, uh, was a, a speaker series for international women's month, which mm. was unbelievable. Saw that. So we that were literally that. having these conversations. What did you have? I'd have to look. Okay. Let's see. I don't know. I'm so bad. Just put you like on the spot here. <laughs> I know. It just put, put me on blast. It's terrible. I mean, <laughs> well, I figured March has four Mondays. Well, like, we partnered with <laughs> Yola Mescal. Well, you guys should interview those girls. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, they started a Mescal company oh, wow. um, from Mexico City. It was her her grandfather's recipe, and it's a, a company all by women, and they employ all the women in 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 the village to help. I don't know if the village is the right word, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful, yeah. but it's a small community of people living in Mexico, and mm-hmm. they and they 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 make it all themselves, and they they batch it the way um, it was traditionally done. Interesting. So, um, my partner at the Fairmont, his secretary um, is from that same neighborhood, and she tried it. She's like, "This is like my grandmother's mezcal." So it's really? actually a really traditional. Mexican mezcal that's actually authentic. Mm. Where some of them, I guess, are really sweet, and this mm-hmm. one's like smoky enough. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't drink, so it's I very trendy I now. Tell you. Too. I see mezcal just yeah, popping off crazy. everywhere. Yeah. So that's a cool. So we partnered with them because we figured, like, if it's Women's Month, we'll partner with Women's mm-hmm. Mezcal, and we did like. Have you, have you started doing these events more recently, or or has it always kind of been a part of Bungalow? No, we had never done a speaker series before, so we did yeah. something that was like fashion and media one week. And then one week we did like beauty and wellness, mm. and then one week we did philanthropy, and then one week we did a fireside chat. So it was sort of just this interesting thing, but it was, yeah, you know, it was kind of like very community, right? The bungalow was always really built to be a community place. We really wanted it to feel like a local place, and it had community roots. And I really built it. Thinking about the community, I didn't really think about like the hotel or mm-hmm. what's happening there. It was really like, okay, how do we take care of the locals? And this was so great because you really saw a lot of the local community come out and support it. And so we're going to continue doing that like every other month. I think the next one we're going to do is Gay Pride. Mm-hmm. So we'll do like a speaker series for Gay mm-hmm. Pride um, in the summer. And then um, I'm curious, like, how did these come about? Was this kind of just something that you thought would be cool to do, and or was it something that you got feedback from the people who came to the bungalow and said? No, we kind of every year we kind of look at the marketing for the bungalow. And we sort of have a team meeting and we look at like what are we, what's the marketing plan for this year? What can we do 
differently. I mean, there was yeah. a few years there at the bungalow where we didn't have to do anything. It was just so busy mm -hmm. and so crazy that like, you know, but everything all, like is, you know, has its life and you got, you got to continuously adapt. Yeah. And obviously it's not like business has gone away, but we want to keep the business that we have. We want to continually put things in. We really want to, you know, do more things. You know, we're going to launch an app for mm -hmm. the bungalow, which is sort of like, um, we're calling it like a, we're going to use, we're going to partner with some local companies, um, and give it to their employees as a, as a, how do you say it? Like a rewards program. Mm -hmm. So if you're part of the, if you're part of it and we're going to do it with like, um, who, what, where and carbon 38, these couple yeah. great companies and give the, all their employees like a 15% discount Monday through Friday from five to nine. If you come in for drinks, you know, we're calling it the sunset series. So you kind of mm -hmm. can come in and part of the app, you're on the sunset program. We just give people discounts, yeah. which is meaningful, I think, to people who work and yeah. are, work, are living on a budget. So we're just trying to figure out, like, how do we do things that actually people would use and like? Because mm -hmm. we figured half the people that work at those companies probably come to the bungalow anyway. Anyways, so they're yeah. like, great, we're going anyway. We might right. as well use it. Like, what a great opportunity mm -hmm. to sort of... Also, a great incentive for those companies to offer their... Right. We figure uh, it's a win-win. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and then we're about to announce... We haven't announced it, but we'll announce it here because this is the first... We're doing... A thing called night market in the parking lot in front of the bungalow oh, wow. where we're going to do food trucks festoon lights picnic tables nice. we partner with kcrw and for the first one on i said may 16th thursday may 16th okay. so it's gonna be the grant is gonna be the kickoff for the summer season for this and we got macy gray to perform like an acoustic wow, performance sweet. in the parking lot of the bungalow nice. it'll be family friendly and we're gonna like you know we think it's awesome like yeah drink yeah. See some music. We're gonna have KCRW DJs. Have some great food trucks. If you want to go to the bungalow, you can. You got to be 21 to go in the bungalow. Mm -hmm. If you want to come to uh, Night Market, you got to. It's family friendly. God, that, so it's you guys open. got a perfect parking lot too. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's especially in Santa Monica. Yeah. So we kind of look at we just yeah. sort of look at like how do we just continually bring more exciting things to the community yeah. in the west side of LA like that that are something that's meaningful because yeah. the pier concert stopped, which was a right. big. Oh, are they not doing that anymore? Not in the summer, yeah. Oh, right. Maybe in the winter, but they're not doing it in the summer. Unfortunate. So we sort of looked at, like, how do we do something on Thursday nights to, can, like, not lose that? Because that was a great, right. you know, like, kind of like you literally be at the bungalow and the period start. It would, like, ghost town. And then, at, like, 9 o'clock was, like, you got hit with, like, yeah. a thousand people yeah. at one time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Thursdays were, like, hit, boom, boom. So we're just, like, how do we continue doing something that's fun and mm -hmm. that the community would like? And it seems to be everyone's behind it. KCRW loves it. We love it. Macy loves it. Like, it's a pretty exciting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. things so we're that's kind of what we're, i'm working on those things currently along with you know building designing conceiving all, all the other bungalows just yeah still doing everything still doing everything i mean we spread it out i mean we have you know mm -hmm. are there days that you wake up and you're just discouraged or you're just like i don't want to work today every day don't you want to just sleep no <laughs> no i don't think there's days where i'm discouraged i like what i do i think there's days i'm tired yeah you know, I mean, I try to hit the gym more than not because, mm -hmm. believe it or not, Essential. when you're if you're if you're like if I'm tired in the morning and I go for a run and I go work out, I'm after that I'm kind of awake and I'm ready yeah. to yeah. go. Like my brain is going. I've got some fuel. I got yeah. I got everything's going, and I seem to just be like, okay, I'm ready for ready for the day. So I try to do that. So let's talk about Neon Carnival. Yeah. Um, this is the other project you have aside from Bungalow, uh, which is every year. Um, coincidentally, on the weekends that 
Coachella and Stagecoach are at. Um, and we've seen that it's been called kind of the official after party of those festivals. So tell us kind of how this all came about. Um, what inspired the idea and, you know, how long have you been doing that, that kind of stuff? Um, well, we started this about 10 years ago. It's been 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know, 12 years ago, I went to, I went to those festivals for the first time, Coachella, which I'm a super fan of music and I've always loved music. I've DJed for most of my career. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about how it, how, where it's come since then though. Sure. So, yeah. And, um, had my own radio show for a long time and so i was at coachella and just like a lot of people were i was like backstage with friends and they were just like where's where's the party you're doing the party right i was like what party they're like after party that like, we need something to do mm. and they, there was just nothing to do and i looked it was saying you know at that time i don't know maybe there was a curfew or something it seemed like it ended at like 10 30 or 11 it was early and people were like let's do something so i i was like wow i need something we need, I need to figure out how to do something around this. This is an important thing, and I'm seeing every person. What were they doing? What was like the alternative? Nothing. There was nothing. There was no after. There was no after parties. Yeah. No after parties. Just go home and they're expensive, you know. <laughs> right. So like, I don't know. Five years before that, I had done a party for um, the opening of a ride at Magic Mountain called Tatsu. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. I hate that ride. That ride's awesome. So we did the op- <laughs> so we did the opening of that, right? And we closed down Magic Mountain was closed on like a Thursday. And we did a party and we brought 5,000 kids wow. from Hollywood to Magic Mountain for a private party. There was drinks, DJ AM DJed like mm. and you could ride all the rides. How did you get 5,000 people there? I don't know. You said there's a free party at Magic Mountain with drinks <laughs> for the party. time. And literally, yeah. but I mean, okay, so you got to put it in perspective. There's 40,000 people that the park can hold, so there's 5,000 people there. Uh, so there was after, no After pe- hours or during the After day? hours. They oh, okay. like closed the park early for us. And so we did this whole media thing for them. But it was literally the funnest party we have ever done. Why? I think there's something about funnel cake. <laughs> cosmopolitans and rides with no lines and you're just kind of going right and then on top of it you had a bunch of celebrities so you literally had like no doubt running around yeah no fans like mm. when can gwen stefani go to magic mountain never so was this like carefully curated group of people yeah, or we oh. everyone's on our oh, guest like list an, okay gotcha. we get it was our guest list we let everybody come gotcha. and so it was literally i just watched the euphoria and just with my friends and people were everybody was smiling everyone was having the best time because yeah. i think we all have romantic memories of like going to amusement parks with our mm-hmm, kids yeah. there's i mean most kids have a positive memory about that right so not me but yeah most kids <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast yeah <laughs> it's a whole different um, what is that about pal? and so so that kind of planted the seed for me for neon carnival so we finally convinced at the time we were doing a lot of corporate events and we were doing a ton of work i don't know if you remember you guys were too young but we used to do a bunch of really amazing parties for t-mobile Okay. Like when T-Mobile launched, we kind of launched T-Mobile in the U.S. and we were doing these amazing parties for them where we'd build like skateboarding ramps in the middle of a party and like, you know, uh, bands would, would, would play and it was just, it was really built and around was action sports. Like on- it wasn't broadcast. It was just a private party oh, and we'd do them gotcha. all over town. Like one year we did it like Griffith Park at the golf course, Kanye West performing on the golf course. In Griffith Park, with a full orchestra, with a full stage, like like Which he's basically, basically doing now at Sunday service. 
I don't know what Sunday services, but yeah. it sounds it's a, amazing. It's, a, like a base, it's like not kind of like an orchestra, but yeah. he's literally doing the, like church on Sundays like in the middle of Galabasas. Got every it. Sunday. Well, no, but this was literally like <laughs> if you took his stage, he dropped it into like Griffith Park, and it was it. this massive stage. Sounds like party. Kanye West. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. Yeah. So, and it was called Neon Carnival at the time. No, that was just a party for T-Mobile. Got we were it. doing work for T-Mobile, and so we pitched T-Mobile and said, "Hey, do you want to do?" Um, something during Coachella, and they finally they said yes. So T-Mobile was like the first one, and it was literally the first party we ever we did at Coachella was. This is '09. It's like the year like Paul McCartney and stuff performed. Was Paul McCartney? I don't know the year that people were performing. Yeah, I guess if it was two, uh, yeah, it was, I guess it's '09. So it would have been, yeah. and it was DJ AM, Steve Aoki, and Danny Masterson all like DJ battling in a triangle. Danny Masterson yeah. DJs. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. Mom jeans. Oh. I didn't know that. He's a good DJ. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, that's how it kind of, like, that was the beginning of, like, doing stuff at Coachella. So it started with T-Mobile. T-Mobile was, like, your partner, or, like, they wanted to throw it. They did, and I pitched them the idea to do a carnival, and they were like, no, don't want to do it. They did it for, like, a year or two, and then they they were, like, they kind of changed their format. Like, they stopped. There wasn't a phone launch or something around Coachella. Gotcha. You know the time of the festival, and so Just didn't make much sense. They didn't make sense. So, so we basically pitched it to Armani Exchange. Like, I have an idea to do a carnival, dance floor party. I saw what happened at Magic Mountain. Yeah, I was like, kids are gonna go crazy, and we literally did the first neon carnival. And it wasn't free though. Was it's it always free? Always free. It's always been free. It's never, never been any kind of anything but free. Huh. And so, and. Armani Exchange was like, we're in. And we did it for the first two or three years with them until... They were kind of like the corporate sponsor. It was So like back in those days, like you'd have one brand that would pay for a whole party. But was it called Neon Carnival? Yeah, it was it called was Neon a separate, Carnival. It, it was wasn't Armani like, Exchange presents Neon Carnival. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it's kind of started. And that, and that was like a monster. Like people were losing their minds. How many people attended the first one? Probably like four or 5,000. And how, I mean, I don't know if you can talk about it, but what was your uh, marketing tactic? Like, I mean, were you targeting people at those festivals? No, we just targeted our friends. So, so if oh, you knew us, yeah. we let you on the, put you on the list. And they, have, didn't know they probably us. happened to be at Coachella that weekend. Yeah, and Armani Exchange, like, what we, in those days, like, we were literally, like, renting a hotel with Armani, and they would put people up in hotels, celebrities. We'd bring them to the party. They'd have a party. Like it was just, it was just like I think the only people doing parties at the time was myself and Jeremy Scott. I was about to say, like, I feel like that's way before because this whole Instagram craze is everybody like throwing these yeah. like corporate sponsored parties, especially at you know those weekends. Oh, well, this is way before. Yeah. This is this like is before, way before. Yeah. No, no, Jeremy Scott and me were the only people doing parties. Yeah, I saw him today at the gym, and it was like I was like, "Are you ready?" He's like, oh, "I don't even care. I don't." He was like, "I'm ready. I guess." <laughs> I, I just show up. I don't even have to do anything now. I'm oh, like, he, you guys are work, you guys work on the Neon Carnival together? Or? No, but Jeremy Scott does a party. He's always done a party during oh. Coachella. What like, is it called? I feel like I saw it last year. He did it. I mean, for years he did it at the Frank Sinatra estate, and I yeah, could, yeah. and it was raised. It was crazy because we're friends, and I was always like, I can't come. He's like, I can't come <laughs> to yours either, and it was always like because his is in Palm Springs, and we were like near near the festival, so yeah. it's pretty far. That's what people don't realize is they know it now, but in those early days, it was really funny when people thought it was cute. Like, oh, I'm gonna go to three parties in the desert. You're like, do you? <laughs> realize that like that's a five hour yeah. like round yeah, yeah, trip yeah. drive to new york yeah. like you know what i mean it yeah, was like if you decide to go to one party and then come back to the other party you just killed like five hours yeah. like it's not cute but right now what is the goal of neon carnival 
And has it changed just to since get the beginning? Through it. I know that's the goal for you, <laughs> but why are people coming to this? Besides the fact that it's free, besides the fact that it's fun, is there something else? Is it just because they support you and what you've done? No, I, I listen. I don't know. I mean, at some point with Neon Carnival, it kind of like crosses barrier, became the Sky moment, right? Where it just became like this rite of passage of like, you know, more and more and more and people. And I think part of it was that we don't sell tables. Mm-hmm. It's guestless only. You can't buy your way in, you know, and you just sort of have this this thing where it's like you have to get in and it's like literally it's a fever yeah. like that happens around this time of year where people are like, because you don't have a lot of choices, right? And I think there's been a handful of parties that have tried to do something on a Saturday and we've seemed to do pretty well, knock on wood, that mm-hmm. we, we're still doing pretty good. And and you guys are like from at night, like 10 p.m. to dawn, right? Yeah, and listen, like I mean, when we started that party, I was really conscious of, you know, Paul Tillette, who's created um, Golden Voice and mm-hmm. created um, Coachella. Phenomenal company, Golden Voice. Phenomenal company. And Paul is, I, I, I don't know him necessarily personally, but I respect the work that he's done. And I sort of always took the position of like, I want to be a good neighbor. Like, and in, in those early days, we started at 11. Because I was like, I don't want to interfere with, I don't want people to leave your party to come to my party. I want you to have to do that and we want to do something after. I was like, Mm -hmm. that's what I've always done. I've always done after parties for things. If it's the Oscars or. Yeah, you told us that one with that madam last time. Yes, exactly. You haven't heard that part. There's been a consistent. Yeah, episode 28, (laughs) after parties. After parties. Great story. Yeah, so I was always sort of like, I really wanted to, to try to be as respectful as I possibly could be to be like, listen, like, um. You know, we don't book headline DJs. We don't try to like put big acts on. We don't try to like take anything away from what's happening at Coachella. I mean, I do have a deep, deep respect for those guys and mm-hmm. what they've built. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that the truth is, is people wanted something to do. Yeah, and that's Has the business been- that I'm in. And like, I'm not in the concert business. I'm in the party business. And this is a it's a party. And I've stayed true to that for ten years. It's like private. It's guest list. We don't charge to get in. Yeah. You know, how many people come now? Eight to ten thousand. Wow, a lot of people. Wow, it's a big party and it's now. All guest list. All guest list. Yeah, that's great. It's Gee. a big Excel sheet. I'm guessing you have like <laughs> promoters and stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, I always say it. It's like a funny thing, but I say to people, I'm like, listen, it's like, if you can't get into any carnival, you got a problem. Like, we don't say no to like <laughs> let eight thousand people come. Yeah, it's not eight hundred. Well, I feel like most people that. People just don't know about it yet if they can't get in. Maybe, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. everyone's like, ah, oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's just, we, you know, we say yes to a lot of people and we take big lists and we do, it's not, it's not like, it's not like Hyde back in the day when we could have 100 people in the yeah. room mm-hmm. and you really yeah. were turning people away. It's like, it's just like a big campground, right? Essentially. You guys are well, it's there. interesting. So this year we moved to, um, Hits is like the premier horse jumping facility in America. Mm-hmm. And so we did a deal with them where, it's in India. Or? Well, it's in thermal, technically. Okay. And so they built us a grass field that's like the size of three football fields. So this is the first year we're on grass. Mm. Very nice. We have like... It's going to be great for the pictures. Great for pictures. Actually, it's nighttime, so it doesn't really matter. But we light, we have lights. Yeah, yeah we have lights. So, it, you know, <laughs> it, and for years we were on it, we were on a tarmac, so we are sort of next to airport yeah. right. to hangars. It was always on asphalt, which was yeah. great because it was flat and easy to use. Last year we kind of went from... The, the airfield to this kind of parking lot slash dirt slash thing. And now we're in a 
what we believe was our permanent facility at HITS for a long time, which we're excited to see what happens at Neon Carnival when people are on grass because it's like you've never been able to like go on a ride, go for a dance, and just like lay down and look at the stars. Like who yeah. wants to lay down on asphalt? That doesn't sound fun. No. Brent, so we're live on Instagram here. One of the, our fans asked us, what gives you the most amount of anxiety, if any, during the planning process for Neon Carnival? The most amount of anxiety... I don't know. It's so crazy. There's so many things that go into. I mean, we I've literally been working on it for like nine months. So, so at some point, it's a year long. Just like you guys end Neon Carnival and restart. Yeah, planning. we end and we really start talking to sponsors like in September, and we start getting things going, yep. and we start planning. And I've been to, I mean, I've been in the desert like ten times this year because of the new Jeez. location and everything. So, I the most anxiety. Um, I don't know. I don't get a lot of. I mean, as a person, I don't get a ton of anxiety. I mean, I do. I I, I certainly do. I mean, with this party, we've we've done it for so long now. I, yeah. I mean, there's things about the new location that kind of like, oh my god, what's going to happen? How are we going to do this? Like, obviously, you know, just thinking about like safety and how to get parking and the traffic's mm-hmm. always a problem. Just a logistical. So, like we worked stuff. out, I think, a better parking plan with the CHP this year, mm-hmm. and we went harder working on trying to have the 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 guest list experience be better and checking people in easier um making we got more parking spaces so hopefully the overall experience is getting better this year that was a lot of that was a lot of stress for yeah. me always is like the parking and have people getting in and getting out and that's always a this fever but it's just i think i guess the best is what gives me anxiety it's just sort of like tomorrow we close the guest list and then it's just like everybody is like like they wake Wants to up. Get on it. No, no, they just wake up. I'm like, it's Coachella, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coachella's happening. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get myself on the list for yeah. parties. Like, yeah. I'm like, what's did going buy on? Their... Did you buy? When did you buy your Coachella? No, tickets? they buy it on like Friday. Like, how do you decide? Friday morning. Like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just sort of like, no. But the funny thing is, like, we get sponsors. We literally have sponsors up to today, like calling me, like, so I want to activate at Coachella. We have this thing. I'm, I'm not talking like yeah, little yeah. sponsors. I'm talking like airlines, car companies. You're just like, what have you guys been doing for the last ninety days? The last six months, were you guys not thinking that Coachella was happening, and you guys like you just hopefully woke you up? have a place to stay while, while you're there? Exactly. So <laughs> I, it's just always funny to me. Like everything's and, booked a year in advance. Yeah, and so um, we have an amazing girl, Alison, who helps us, who handles all the sponsorship. But she's just like she's like I've never experienced anything. like people are literally she's call- experiencing anxiety. Well, she does she does this for a living. Like yeah. she that's all she does for like people like you know big mega stars and big corporations she's like I, I don't understand like literally like like big coca-cola's calling us and like how do they activate and she's like coachella's in a week like what do you mean how do you activate yeah like you're just like <laughs> laughing at like these people it's pretty funny but um so i don't know i don't have a ton of anxiety yet yeah today i feel pretty good i'm sure friday night will be a little bit more and then saturday gets i don't know it works I mean, like you said, you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, so I'm sure the you've figured out a system. But I, I, yeah, I think the experience helps with that. I mean, it seemed like, I mean, I guess I have a little more anxiety about like weekend three. Like I don't know what's going to happen during that weekend. Like that's the that's the Is big, this the first time you guys are doing yeah it's a big okay. experiment like okay. doing that. Hopefully, you know, and I just imagine it's just a different type of people. But but listen, know. there's a hundred thousand people that go to Stagecoach, and there's nothing to do afterwards. Yeah. So especially. I mean, I just figured. We got everything up yeah. and we can leave it God, up. I feel and like you guys are going to have a much bigger turnout that day. 
Unless you guys have like it's that's bold. a bold prediction. I'm I hoping if we can get as half as many people said, there, as things happening. we can one yeah. will be great. Like I just feel like there's some yeah. you know there's nothing to do. And Cowboys and, love those carnivals, man. <laughs> Cowboys <laughs> love those. We'll but uh, I think it's a great segue into. I was, I was curious because I know you know festivals are a pretty yeah. hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. Aside from what's happening mm-hmm, this weekend mm-hmm. and next weekend. Uh, the we fire won't festival, name the festivals, the, but the fire festival, yeah, big uh, deal. Documentary came out recently, and everyone's going crazy over that. So I was just kind of curious, like, I mean, thinking back when you first started this thing, and even till now, um, what is what kind of goes into like even beginning to try to throw a festival, and what are some of the biggest challenges, um, and like, how do you how do you go about that? Well, we're not a festival. Okay, you got to remember we're we're You're like we're the biggest private party probably in the world. But when you say party, it's more of like a... But it's like a festival is like you sell a ticket and people come. That's right. We're a guestless situation. So that's so some of that is different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that 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 math equation of like, we got to sell X amount of tickets to cover the cost. Right. There's always that small margin of like where you make money and you lose money. And I don't have to worry about housing or artists or staging. Like, I haven't seen that documentary, but I'm everyone tells me I need to see it, you obviously. Gotta see it. You know, but I mean... They didn't even get to the festival. Like it was, just, it was <laughs> yeah. They didn't the even get to anything really. <laughs> right. But, I mean, it was yeah. A I can imagine. Show. So it's just more so. Like I mean, in this case, but, you but have- in, so for our case, like I mean, I think what makes this a little bit different than like a festival is we put so much like like we're capped at how much money we can make because we can only give so much to sponsors, and there's only so much that they'll pay for like title sponsor, co-title sponsor, like. So you kind of think, okay, there's probably four buckets that you can really get like enough money to do it. Then you hopefully can take that money and make enough money to cover yeah. the cost of everything. Because when you think about what we do is we go into a field, we bring power, water, yeah, bathrooms, staging, lights, sounds, games. You said rides. water. When you watch the documentary, you'll know you'll know why I said this. Right. So I'm saying all this <laughs> yeah. stuff you kind of build a city yeah. in the middle of nowhere and right. then suddenly, you know, and it's like you're like, wow, this it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah, yeah. to do it. Um so from that perspective, it's th- it's sort of the same kind of situation. I mean, and at some point like if we don't raise enough sponsorship, either we're not doing it because we just don't have enough money or Has that ever happened though? No, but there's certainly been years where we didn't make enough money and we've carried the loss to the next year. And when you say make money, it's making money f- through the carnival, like what you sell at the carnival as opposed to No, we don't, everything's free at the carnival. So oh. games are free, rides are free, everything's free. So you're it's just free sponsor party. money. It's all sponsored. Drinks yeah. are free, everything's free. And it's pure branding for these companies, I'm assuming? Pure branding. It's a pre- so how do you make money? Through the sponsorship? Well, through sponsorship money. Yeah, so you sell a sponsorship and they come on board and they do it. But I mean... Like Which last really covers like, the cost, and then you're saying anything outside right. of that is your. Profit. But sponsors do because, like last year, we got 18 billion media impressions. 18 wow. billion billion through like how social media mostly. No press, everything, print, digital, everything. Wow. That's media. I'm not. That's talking, insane. Yeah, I'm not talking social media impressions. That's a different number. Yeah, mm. that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. So it's what it, was like the. Has there been a year where it's like this was bigger than other years, or is every year pretty consistent as far as? More and more people coming. I, I think I feel like I remember like a couple of years ago, it wasn't as many people. It wasn't eight, eight to ten thousand, was it? No, I mean it's always been like five thousand yeah. people. Just because at Coachella, it's like we said, like let's say you guys go, mm-hmm. and you guys go, like, great, we're gonna go. Let's all rent a house. Let's rent a big house. Mm-hmm. So now there's fifteen people at your house. So then you guys call me and say, hey, we want to get on the list for Neon Carnival, and I'm like, okay. And you're like, who are you with? You're like, well, we've got fifteen people in our house and three more friends coming out. So it's like twenty people. 
I mean, every person I've ever met in my life is like, I'm at Coachella with 20 people. Yeah. So it's not plus one. That's yeah. plus and you can't, I can't say to you, well, sure, I'll put you on ease. Plus, you can have three people. And you're like, well, what about the other nine people in our house yeah, we're yeah. celebrating the whole weekend with? Yeah. So you kind of, that's how the, the list just gets so big because you just get people coming in packs right. and packs of people. Right. No one is out. I mean, I'm sure there's a handful of people that come plus one, but the majority of the yeah, people come rare. in big posses. It's th- like crazy. I think the awesome part of Neon Carnival is that at the end of the day, because it's free, you're kind of creating like this goodwill slash like good karma with the people that are attending, which I would assume probably spills over to them wanting to learn more about the people behind Neon Carnival and those people are the people that are essentially running the bungalow. So, does does I mean, it does it help in any way? I don't, I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, Neon Carnival's been around longer than Bungalow. Yeah. In you know, as far as like a brand is concerned, I mean, I IP'd it like the second year. Mm. Like we went and trademarked it so that we knew we had something special. So, I think that they're so polar opposite. <laughs> Of like experiences like bungalow so like yeah. this refined cocktail yeah. Yeah. drinking West Side yeah. by the beach vibe. Yeah. And this is you know, but sometimes I mean we get we get customers from the bungalow saying, Hey, what can you do for me? <laughs> sometimes we say yes. Sometimes where did we say where did no. the whole neon thing come from? What, like what was there anything that inspired you to do that or it was kind of just like this would be cool? Um You know, what really started is Armani had sunglasses that year and they were neon colored Ooh. so i said we'll call it neon carnival and they loved it because they had neon sunglasses it's like right. glow in the dark type of thing i don't know if they were glowing i guess they would glow if you hit it in black light on them but they were just neon colored sunglasses gotcha. and that was kind of what they were promoting as like an item mm. for armani that year and they were the first one and so it was like neon carnival like that just kind of made sense to me and it, mm-hmm. you know like i think i think the only way names ever come are just like that organic yeah. like the best names just come and you go oh that's it yeah like you just hear that and you go that's a great right name like in the 90s when we did saturday night fever like this it yeah, just sounds perfect this disco dance party you know big with you know it was like oh that's now a- it's like is the instagram handle taken is the domain taken is yeah. this taken is that taken yeah, yeah. but uh so brent yeah. since the last time we sat down with you we came up with a segment called unlikely likely and i just thought about this on the spot so pat's gonna be like what the hell are we doing um where we pair up unlikely companies with like random products but since you haven't watched the fire festival if one day we came to you pat and i came to you you're like you know brent we have this island you know, it's just the middle, <laughs> middle of nowhere. And we said, we want you to throw a festival. What do you do? What's step one? Oh, so many steps. I guess you'd have to see the infrastructure of the island. Mm-hmm. That would be something Billy he's didn't like very, do. He's like trying to think of like what <laughs> yeah. could have possibly went wrong with yeah. the fire festival. So yeah. I don't see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, infrastructure. So you do due diligence in a sense. Yeah, you always have to do. do. Yeah, I mean, it's. A, sure. I mean, I guess. I guess part of my whole like doing things like that comes from from a like a lot of it was sponsored events and corporate events. So you always have you have some sort of fiduciary responsibility right. to make sure like all your licenses are correct, your permits are in line, like all those things are checked because you don't want to get sued when you sign a big yeah, contract with Levi's. It's like mm-hmm. it's not it's not just my reputation. It's literally like that's so I think that's just in our DNA of like we would start anything that I mean not doing that would just be like like okay. Yeah. Do they have enough power to make it work? Okay. Do we do they have generators on the island? Like if they don't have generators, like what are you gonna do? Like, right. Like get a weather forecast going. Like 
it's it's an island. Is there storms coming? Wind is it going to rain? Is it going to? I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's a million things. It's to as go if through. you watch the documentary, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where would you, besides the infrastructure, let's say that was all good to go? Where where would you start? Would you start with like the talent who's performing? Would you start with um, the, the food? The I think you always start with talent, right? If you're doing something that you're selling tickets, it starts with talent. So if you don't have talent, you can't sell tickets. So I think you have to you have to sort of you know, and if you can convince talent to do it, which they did, and you can, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, I, it sounds, I mean. This is just about your island. We don't know what yeah. we're talking. This is just a random situation. My, it's a hypothetical situation. Right. No, no, of course. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like if you can convince CAA to give you talent without right. any right. real right. checking account, like, I don't know how that works, right. but I mean, it would be a miracle, mm-hmm. like, I suppose, mm-hmm. like. You know, without wiring some sort of security deposit to an agent. Yeah, you said you've been going to Coachella for a long time. I'm sure you've been to other festivals too. Is there anything like different that you would do? Anything like any different twist that you feel like you know this is missing from festivals that you went out you would want to add? Um, no, I think I mean I think the modern festival is it's obviously an evolution of what we saw in Europe, right? I yeah. mean, festival life, festival culture has been there for so long. The Tomorrowland, um, it's like mm-hmm. it's one of them. More of the newer ones, yeah. Just I with the, I mean, they've got you know Glastonbury, which has been around forever, and just some some of those festivals that just sort of, you know, there's a thing in Europe. Like I think Europeans love music more than Americans in some weird way, or they love all music, right? More than just a certain kind. Like mm-hmm. we know that kids yeah. love pop music, and they will always support that. But mm-hmm. like you go to Europe. And you could go to a festival that has the hottest pop band in the world, but then also they have like a heritage band in that whole mix because they love that music. They love it all. Like they're just fans of music. I, th- yeah. I feel like we not have these that Americans aren't fans here, of music. I just think that they're just not as passionate about it. They're like Fairweather fans almost. Like they're, they like the music when it's hot. I wonder if the radio has anything to do with it. I mean, there's radio in Europe too. I, I don't know. I just think there's something more. But it's like more like what they play on the radio. I don't know if that's any different. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, obviously in Europe, you can you hear a much more diverse playlist of music. Yeah. It's not just one, you know, like like you could be listening to like, I don't know, like the Power 106 of London. And then you could hear like Ariana Grande. And then also two songs oh, later, it'd be like a great old David Bowie song. And yeah. that's what would you'd be like, oh, yeah, because yeah. they just love David Bowie. And they're not like not playing that song. Right, or right. it could be an old Duran Duran song, but they're just—they kind of just throw in stuff that's just like every now and then they feel like. Like yeah. you ever watch Jules Asner? Is it no. Jules Asner? I have not. No. It's like this show. I don't. Maybe I'm saying his name wrong, but he's just—it's a British show where they literally have like five bands play in a circle, and he was a—I think he was either—he was either in a, in a band or he was a music producer, and so it literally could be like Paul McCartney, um, Ariana Grande. Justin Bieber, Jay-Z. The Strokes, yeah. and like, like Dr. Dre, Bjork. <laughs> like you're just like, whoa! It's just yeah. across all genres of music, yeah. and that's like a hit right. TV show that's on TV, and that's you're just cool. like, it's not just sort of like one genre, one one genre yeah. or just pop music or right. EDM or just whatever's on top forty. It's like, oh no, they want Bjork because they love Bjork, they respect the, her body of work, and she's there mm-hmm. doing something. So mm-hmm. it's just a different kind of when culture. it comes to like, I mean, just the festival lineups, like. Um, given the different festivals you've been to, uh, what is like kind of the ideal 
dynamic? Like, is it that? Is it just a combination of all the things, or like how much? For of- me, it would be because I love all kinds of music. So when yeah. when it's not when it's not diverse enough, I'm not. I don't love it. Like I think for me, some of the best years were like when it was like Pink Floyd and The Strokes, and like you kind of got to see mm-hmm. new bands that were coming up. <coughs> Excuse me. And some of the older bands, like I think that was pretty interesting and cool. Yeah. It's also a good way, like these festivals I feel like are a good way for folks that are just into one kind of music to be exposed to different types of things. If you're especially open-minded when it's, to it. Yeah, if yeah. you're open-minded and especially when it's live and the performers are very, very good and they're probably better live. And I guess I'm I've not being so fair. many people live where I was like, man, like I didn't, like I, I didn't grow up listening to the, to the White, uh, White Stripes, which yeah. is Jack White. Mm-hmm. But when I saw him live at Coachella a few years ago, I like, I was like, this passion that for this music that came out of nowhere because I, right. I, I it was different it was right. totally different i guess like the new orleans jazz festival is not really jazzy mm-hmm. it's a little bit of everything yeah i think that's a festival in america that's kind of like has it all has it all interesting yeah i mean but, i feel like new orleans also has a lot of culture like yeah a lot more than places like la i mean i love la but at the end of the day there's so many different types of people that it's become this like diverse pool which is amazing but there isn't, you, you know, you see a little bit of everything, but yeah, not a lot about something, right? And so right. you like end up depending on what region you are in in LA, you like know that, like if on the east side, you know, it's a very different place than the west side, even though we know things, but just the commute itself makes it difficult to constantly be there. So it's a different vibe, like even West Hollywood versus like I don't know North Hollywood. It's a completely different vibe. Yeah, so, LA is a very, it's very segregated, and it's very. I mean, at least there's like boroughs now where there's like you can be in the east side of LA and like, oh, there's something happening. Like, mm-hmm. you, there's yeah. some restaurants and something mm-hmm. happening, mm-hmm. you know, like Culver City. Like, there used to be times where there was like, not, you wouldn't go to any of these places. Right. There's nothing in these communities that yeah. was, there was yeah. no, gen- I mean, part of it's gentrification, part of it's just, you know, it's nice to see this like culinary renaissance happening mm-hmm. in Los Angeles where it's like you can open a great restaurant mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, nod to Jonathan Gold who really, yeah. yep really opened up the eyes to all of yeah. us in Los Angeles to yeah. some real gems that you maybe wouldn't, that weren't on the beaten path. And suddenly he right. made that whole culinary world. And I think just food being on TV and the rise of like food stars, like just makes the yeah, culinary like palette really, in America yeah. just so much more open mm-hmm. and yeah. exciting and interesting. What's your ideal festival food? Going back to your festival, what, would, what, what food vendors would you bring? Pizza, pizza, pizza. pizza. I love pizza festivals. Wow. I mean, listen, I think what Nick Adler did yeah. at Coachella, Nick's an old friend and I love him, fantastic. Right, he really sort of changed the food game at Coachella and really brought in... The food trucks and stuff? Or was it... Just the, just, just the level of... Di- like in those little VIP areas at Coachella, they have like real restaurants doing real things and there's sugar like fish pop-ups. and there's yeah. these pop-ups mm-hmm. kind of like where it's just a more of a culinary experience, which is such a nice, such a nice thing. You know, it's you can kind of get a really great, you know... I mean, I just went to the Renaissance Fair, no, no, and I loved it, but the food was terrible. Hmm. So I'm just letting you know. Bring a sandwich to the Renaissance Fair. You heard it here. So, Brent, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the future of hospitality. You've been obviously in this industry for so many years now, and you've seen, you know, what it looked like a couple decades decades ago, a decade ago. You see it now, and you kind of see the trends. Mm-hmm. What do you see the hospitality industry looking like in the next couple to you know five years? What are some trends that you've noticed? What are some trends that you've noticed but are not yet public yet? You know, a few years ago, Pokey was big, and, you know, obviously this whole plant-based movement is something that's ongoing. But I just want to hear from somebody like you who's in it, who knows people that are in it, about what's happening next. 
Oh, I mean, I guess I'm like an ostrich in a bungalow sandstorm mm. a little bit. Like my head's in the ground yeah. building bungalows. So I'm not like, you know, at one point we were so tapped into Hollywood. So I think, I mean, I feel like, I, I just feel like this world of, of, of like hospitality and bottle service and paying DJs, you know, half a million dollars to DJ like somewhere that has to find a better space because the math doesn't make sense mm -hmm. right like for for that in that world and then it's just kind of finding that and I think that I think that's going to play itself out to some degree where I feel like people have to realize I mean I don't know anyone who's really wealthy that's like I'm super stoked to pay 20 grand for that table yeah like yeah. I don't I don't you know I just think that that's a lot of money to anybody if you have money, you don't yeah. have money. Like it's yeah. just right. so. I think there's something that's that inherently has to change in nightlife culture about that. And is that like where does that price tag come from? Is it is it like literally the price tag for that venue to cover the cost of how much the talent is is asking for to perform and all this other stuff? Or? Well, I think it just becomes in this. You get in this game of like got to build a bigger nightclub. It's got to have better sound system. Got better lights. You got to have a better designer. Yeah. So you're saying, oh, the nightclub that used to cost. Five million now costs twenty million to build, right? So you're like, how do we pay for the twenty million dollar yeah. nightclub? It's hard to pay that. Just there's only one way to make that that model work. Yeah. So you have to spend, you know, you got to do it through bottle service. So it's kind of like figuring out that 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 cycle of like, how does that change? Um, but if if let's say you know you had an, a venue like that, like a nightclub where you were selling um, bottle service. And you were to somehow try to reduce that down so it was a little bit more affordable and you can get more people there. Like, I mean, I, I feel like no venue, no big venue has a tough time selling them. They're still selling them, which blows my mind. But um, what, how else would you try to make or compensate for that? I, I think if I had to choose, I wouldn't go into the nightclub business yeah. today. Yeah. I wouldn't do it ever. Mm. Not, I mean, if it didn't pick me 30 years ago, I certainly wouldn't. Today, I would not, I would think like, that seems like a risky, crazy business to me. Like it seems really risky. Like, and how know. many times can you go to the same damn nightclub? I mean, you, I know yeah, some people. I that mean, do listen. Work. When we used to do nightclubs, sometimes we'd have promotions on a Monday night that would last five years, right? So it was, and we had no, we had no exposure. Like yeah. we were just t taking money, so the risk was very small. Right. But like, even those days, like building a nightclub, you spend a million bucks building a place. Like, yeah, you could, you could pay yourself back in a couple of years and make some money. Like now, it's right. like. If you spend twenty million dollars on a nightclub, like I don't know what's. I mean, that's like you got to do, you know, you got to do fifty million bucks a year to pay it back, yeah. and like it's hard to get to those. Not it's like crazy numbers to get to get to the payback, and then who's putting up the money? Is it if you're really raising money through like investors? Like at some point, I, I think you. I think if you're taking people's money, you, you certainly have some obligation to try to pay them back. Mm -hmm. You know, at least at least give it a good honest try and if it doesn't work we all know there's risk in investing that's part of the game but you know you sort of have to build them i mean i always try I mean, the our philosophy is like you got to build a model that like you whoever's investing in it can believe that that's possible right right like at some point like and I they think, trust the person who's doing it well yeah but it also but even like doing like the restaurant with michael mina up in san francisco it's expensive and it's costing millions of dollars to do and we've sort of built a performer and we're like okay well you know here's here's how long it'll take and we can can we do you know a turn can we do less under one turn at lunch and 
do one turn at dinner and some snacks during the day, okay, we can make that work. Like if I go to you and say, hey, if I have like less than one turn at lunch and I have one turn at dinner, can you believe that we can do one turn? That means one seating Mm -hmm. in the 160 seats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that seems like, okay, maybe you guys could, maybe Michael, Mina, and Brimble else can do that. Like, okay. You know, but if we build a model that I'm like, we'll do two turns at lunch and six turns at dinner and it'll be this and it'll be a line. It's you cut, you start building these models that you're just like, Oh, how do you believe that? Like how does, you know, you can't be busy on Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't, maybe some places are, but like, it's just that model of trying to like be conservative and build models and build, build projects that stay in a place that's like believable. Mm -hmm. I just think that the community building approach that you guys have taken at, at bungalow is a better approach to quote unquote nightlife or just going out because it's one of those places. And again, a lot of folks that are doing this, whether it's even like the soul houses of the world or spring places or we work or whatever, the whole community approach that they've taken, you can go several times with different groups of people and have a different experience. Sure. And you're not spending so much money that it's breaking the bank and that you can't go again. I mean, like I was saying, like LA is so big. People on the east side, you know, I live in Glendale. They know the bungalow, right? right. They make an effort to come out to the bungalow, you know, at least once every couple months. Like they it really like is one of the few spots yeah. that are like recurring, like, right? Exactly. There's a lot of places where you go once and you're like, you know what, it was a cool vibe, but yeah, don't I'm not really gonna go again. Wanna, yeah, yeah, like right. something about it. But I like, had a bad experience. But like at bungalow, yeah. your de- your experience almost depends on you and who you've right. gone with. Yeah. Bungalow is gonna be consistent. But if you go with somebody that, or a group of people that is just not enjoyable, you're not going to enjoy it anywhere. Right. It's not Bungalow's fault. Right. So, you know, I think that that's a testament to obviously the fact that community is a big thing, not only in hospitality, I think just non-hospitality companies that focus on community, that's the only way to not only sustain, but then scale. Because the community then is going to build for you. You know, they're going to be the disciples for in this case, the Bungalow and Neon Carnival. We'd all, we've always been about community. Yeah. When we used to do nightclubs in the 90s. I mean, that yeah. was like, you know, that was that was an area where me and Sam didn't see eye to eye. Like, I had a different idea about community, right? Like, he, he has a different idea about community. Like, to me, it's like, if you were 18, working in the mailroom at a film company, and now you're running the studio, and I've known you for 20 years, that's my community, right? Like, you just grew up in this space so it's just sort of we always thought about like what was happening in the room and the community that was we were building mm-hmm. in these spaces was such an important component to what we were doing which was i think part of our success is like we cared about the people in the room we cared about the experience that people were having there i cared i knew my place in that equation like i wasn't there to get drunk or get laid i was there to make sure the guests were having a good time that was my responsibility yeah. right like hey the lights right is the music right is this going on is the front door working okay like there was a sense of like, I wanted to make sure, mm-hmm. you know, I was in the hospitality business and my job was to make sure the guests were having a good You're time. You were hospitable. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and if, you know, if I met a girl after doing my job, great. But like my first and foremost was like, no, I needed to make sure that stuff was handled because that's the priority. Yeah. yeah. I think there's so many people in the hospitality space so that kind of forget twisted, that. Yeah. You mentioned You mentioned the experience and that's definitely something that we're obviously big on too is like kind of what is the experience that you're getting? And that always changes, right? Like back in the day, like you said, um, it was, and it's still happening, but like you have your DJ on stage and you have a bunch of people and it's like raving and partying. And then, you know, you saw in the last like five to seven years, this kind of speakeasy movement of like all these like bars popping up here and there. Like what is kind of the future experience that you foresee in the nightlife space? I think you're going to continue to see more 
I mean, obviously, what like the Houston brothers are doing is interesting. It's interesting that they're in Vegas now and they're trying to do a little bit of that speaking. Yeah. I haven't been to their space out there, but I mean, I really respect what those guys do. And, and they're, they're fantastic great. designers. And they're great. They have yeah. great aesthetic and they really build, they try to create something that's interesting mm -hmm. and not every day. And um, I think, I think you'll see more, I think like, like you'll see like what we're seeing in the culinary space. There's lots of, fantastic restaurants coming around there's fantastic hopefully there's more and more fantastic bars and things in people's neighborhoods like you know like you'll start you'll start seeing like i think a, a perfect example of of kind of that what's happening in america i think is if you go to waikiki and you look what's happening in like chinatown hmm. it's like really cool there's like really cool restaurants there's really cool speakeasies there's like these like underground cocktail bars like there's just and that's like waikiki it's like you know it's like it, that's not maui right no, <laughs> you know what i mean no. this but you go there and you just go to this scene that you're like in this urban environment and you go into these really cool restaurants you're eating like the best wood fire pizza in chinatown like yeah in waikiki you're like oh that's cool like starting to see more of that kind of thing happening i mean it's like we're still we don't know what will happen but we know that there's like nine-year-old kids making the best pizza in the world right now hmm. what's that kid going to be doing mm -hmm. you know and it goes back to like the outlier stories like mm -hmm. we knew bill mm -hmm. gates was the best programmer at 16 yeah and by the time he was it's 20 kind of he was like the... he was kicking everyone's ass yeah. because he could just program better than anybody and this we all know the story so it's yeah. like what's going to happen now when you've got hundreds of kids that are like oh yeah you know it was like i kind of called it like when like guitar hill came around right mm -hmm. you go oh kids are playing guitar again they weren't mm -hmm. playing guitar. So what? So some of those kids, I, we're probably going to see them now. Like, there's going to be some band, rock and roll is probably going to I'm hit, looking like, forward to right, that. I'm, you know, I'm, in these I'm next few years, that. we probably will see another resurgence of rock and roll yeah. because some of those kids that were like, had no idea who Aerosmith was mm -hmm. were playing Guitar Hero and mm -hmm. they fell in love with guitar just and they so picked up a damn guitar. attached to their screens though. I feel like it's going to be like a virtual rock band where like one's in freaking I mean, New hey, York. It'll be fun. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Right? I don't know. How, you know, <laughs> the screens are different. But I just feel like there's yeah. some there's yeah. some kids yeah. that just got exposed because of Guitar Hero to like, mm -hmm. you know, like who's Jimi Hendrix? Like, right, wow, right. that was cool. Like, what's who's Slash? The Ramones like, and the Rolling Stones. Ramones, yeah, yeah, all these rock and roll bands through Guitar Hero like suddenly... It'll be interesting. Like I said, I'm I'm excited to see because I think there's that segue between hospitality where like food is becoming more and more important. It, we know it's more important. It's like in hotels now, if you don't have great culinary and a great bar yeah. in your hotel, yeah. unless you're like a roadside motel, like you got a pro like you're not going to be successful. So we Even see that continental breakfasts are getting better. Yeah, we yeah. we see that happening with yeah, all the I, hotel I feel, brands. F and B is like a big focus. I mean, a lot of I feel like hospitality entrepreneurs are moving into that space as well. Yeah, they're trying to be involved in the hotels because they know that that is the center of the hotel. I think it's easy to get people to perhaps stay there, but if you have nothing else to offer them in terms of an experience, they could just go to somebody else across the street yeah. or Airbnb it. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think hotels are doing that more and more for their own survival. Like they need, yeah. to, they want to keep people on their campus and they want to build mm -hmm. them an interesting excuse for them to eat there and stay mm -hmm. there. So, mm -hmm. and it can't be that same old, you know, because we're all growing up like like. We know what's happening. Like Amon is building like a whole division of like adventure stays through Amon. Like, what's that going to be like? 
like the Amman hotels are so beautiful and amazing. Like, imagine if they're like, great, we're going to take you glamping through the glaciers in Antarctica. Like, I mean, I think that they, must be like an yeah. amazing yeah, experience. They with like the Airbnbs because like right. they're trying to do these experiences. Well, I just think there's also this generation that are, these guys that are growing up with some of these younger guys that are wealthy that they're like, I don't want to go stay in a Four Seasons. I want to go get my six friends and we're going to go on like stay on a hill in africa in this tent yeah. and we're gonna go like be meet simba for real you know what i mean where yeah. you're like why would you do that or go like you can have this for the same money yeah. like kind of have this yeah. whole entire memory right. of travel and experience that you can't really get in a traditional and listen there's a space for traditional hotel experiences mm -hmm. right so i think there's just something you know it's all changing like we're definitely an evolving species who's looking like we're all and obviously this generation is like gets bored quick yeah oh very quick right? that's the big thing too with hospitality it's like such a big investment where you know it's like besides if, unless you're a pop-up like you're it's going to be tough to adapt like continuously with how mm -hmm. much people's like intention spans and just like interests change how quickly mm -hmm. they change do you it's see yourself cool. doing this a decade from now neon carnival and bungalow and continuing to build you know these events and businesses i mean i think bungalow probably around 10 years from now i don't know what will happen with neon carnival i mean either we're gonna like sell it sell the ip figure out somebody wants to do something with it someone wants to turn it into a festival or a concert or mm -hmm. a thing maybe we continue doing it for a few more years i don't know i mean who knows what will happen because every year is kind of like Every year we got to raise the money and see if there's sponsors that want to do it. It's like right. it's just like song and dance. There's a lot of things is dependent on. Whereas bungalow is like its own thing. Where it's yeah, like, bungalow. I mean, listen, Long Beach will open up at the end of the year. La Jolla will open up sometime in 2020. San Francisco opening maybe at the end of the year, maybe 2020. But you know, you ha we'll have three or four more, and then we kind of have that. I don't think that's just going to just you know the good thing about you know bungalow is I, I like to go into second tier markets and build something world class. Right, that's part of our model. And so we're really, you know, I don't think that Huntington Beach is suddenly going to go, you know, the knock on wood, we're getting like main and main great real estate, right? And so you're not, when can I get a view of this Huntington Beach pier ever again? Never. Yeah. Yeah. When can I get like on the marina in Long Beach? Never. Like when am I going to get like a rooftop looking over La Jolla on the third story of a Westfield Center? on the street not even buried in the center like it's now like it's been the time for like yeah so we get these if we can nab a few more really great locations it's like kind of like okay hopefully it's we can like have something rush. yeah we can then go and you know open four or five and we're getting we're looking at great real estate i go to boston next week and look at some real estate out Any there and coast plans yeah boston oh boston yeah go well, to boston. So, so it's like places that are near the ocean. coast Coastal. No, it doesn't. It, Bungalow is not a coastal brand. Bungalow is just a residential brand that needs to feel community. Mm. Like there's an urban bungalow for sure. So is the idea to just kind of have it like a different vibe, given based on like where the location is. is that yeah, in that way, we we look at like Soho House as a as a as a model. Like if you go to the one in Berlin, it's way different than the one in West Hollywood. Right. Right. So they're sort of relevant to like what the community that they're in. Yeah. So we're the same way. Like if we go to seattle it's not going to feel like southern california yeah. like i'm not so trying to bring southern california to other cities right. i'd be like no yeah. this should feel relevant to the community that you live in like if you live in seattle you like that community and you like 
what that culture is. And hopefully mm-hmm. you like the heritage of that community. So we would try to bring all those elements into the space so that you can be like, great, this is like, like I think that's what makes Santa Monica and Huntington Beach great. You go there, like it feels like this is why I live in Santa Monica because mm-hmm. this feels like Santa Monica, right? right? So hopefully tapping into that part of the psyche of the community that's around us and really doing that same thing wherever we go that we don't sort of stray from that because again it's not a southern california brand mm-hmm. we might be from southern california we might be made in california but we're not trying to bring california to other parts of the world so brent just to kind of wrap this up and since last time you become a father now so I have. you can give us your fatherly advice yes um, yes my son <laughs> if you just had one piece of advice to give to younger folks that you know don't necessarily know what they're going to do career-wise or what their next steps are, or you know what life has to offer them. What's just one piece of general advice that you know you can share or give them? I mean, the best advice I can give anybody is like, just don't ever give up, right? I mean, because you're gonna fail, right? It's inevitable. You're gonna, you're not gonna get the job that you want, but you have to sort of also have enough space and enough faith in the universe that like i always say this to friends like if god wants you to be a rock star i don't care what you do you're going to be a rock star right if god doesn't want you to be a rock star i don't care if like slash is in your band with you you're not going to be a rock star right so it's kind of like trying to find like what is that space and where you can go and and do something differently i mean i think what was really really um powerful was when we had the speaker series for women's month like all these women every woman that was on these panels that had started these companies if it was a company if it was a philanthropic organization was like i was working at a a nine to five i was working at a hedge fund and i had a passion to start a cbd oil makeup line Mm, something completely i left and i followed my passion Mm. right and i think there's a there's like tremendous um, courage. You know, it takes a lot of courage to like leave a job and. Especially the CBD industry right now. Well, I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> yeah, right, I just remember it. But if it was yeah, just yeah. like, I, you know, you know, and just, just to start. Completely changing your like quote unquote career. Just change life. your career because you had this passion, you know, that still small voice that burns in all of us if you listen to it and quiet down and sort of like go for a walk in the beach and be like, what am I doing? Like, and if you're okay doing what you're doing, then be okay. Yeah. Like, I think, I think it's like anything. Like, you got, I think you, first of all, you have to be okay doing what you're doing. Yeah. Right. So if you're pumping gas, be good at pumping gas. Be the best. Be the best, right? Because you're never going to be the best at something else if you're unhappy in this space, right? It's just a, like being or being resentful that you don't have that car, or don't have that thing. Like, be the best at what you can be. And then, it, I don't know. It's like, I just feel like possibilities are endless then. Because, like, I can tell you as an entrepreneur and someone who looks for people, like, we've all seen people who are gone to places where you're like, Oh, I wish I could steal that hostess. She's fucking on it. Yeah. She's kicking ass. She cares. She's pointing, paying attention to details. Like, that's a winner. Like, how do I get that person on my team? Mm-hmm. How do I give that person opportunity? Like, and you never know where that opportunity is looking or watching or seeing you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that space of like, how do you do it? You know, like, 
And I think that's such an important part of, yeah. of this generation of like, I think the kids have to remember that like, it's not just about the big paycheck. Like, right. Like, I mean, you hear it if all you're the doing time, something like, great, follow, the, ch- yeah. the money will follow. Right. Like, it's that, like, you hear it all the time, like follow your passion, follow what you enjoy doing with so many kids. And, you know, obviously a lot of them are pressured by their parents. And I feel like that kind of mindset is changing a lot too. But it's kind of like, you know, the moral, I think the moral of the story is like, stop listening to other people. Like as much as you can try to just focus and hone in on what you, what Never the, the intersection of what you're good at. You can't listen to What you to see yourself people. putting effort in and what you enjoy doing. And like, and at some point, something's got to give. Like something's gonna happen. You're gonna if you follow that, you're probably gonna make more money than you're happy with that you're, you need to be happy, and you can actually be happy doing something that you enjoy, as opposed to getting stuck into something where it's like now you're 35 and trying to change careers. If a family, it's like way harder to do. Right? Yeah, I mean, listen, you have to. I mean, it does sound cliche. Follow your dream. Follow your passion. It's not. I I think it's like I think that's yes, that's true. But I think, like I said, I think it is really something to be said about. Can you be happy doing something mundane? Right? Because mm. if you can't be happy doing something mundane, it's going to be really hard to do something really pressureful and do it well and be happy at that. Mm. Right? And it's kind of like, like I said, like you see stars rise through the ranks and businesses and companies who are like, how do I get there? You know, and it, you just, you just kind of have to like really plant yourself and be like, Am I happy? Like, there's so much talk about that, but there's, we're in such a time in in the world where finding happiness or finding peace or finding, like, there's more self help, there's more podcasts, there's more people, there's more therapists at work, there's more places to reach out, there's more churches, schools, religious organizations, there's more places where you can sort there's of. There's more work. everything. There's more, more everything, content, more right? everything yeah. there ever was in the history of time. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a time where it was like, my kid got eaten by the bear. Tough shit. Go have another kid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now you're like, okay, so so finding that space, and then once you find that space, right? Because I do believe my own personal belief is that, you know, that we are energetic beings. I think science has proven that we're 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 sort of electrical beings, and like being in like wanting or anger is a frequency. And it's a low frequency. And if you can get out of like that frequency and move into a higher frequency of like gratitude and happiness, like in those frequencies, open other frequencies. It's like mm-hmm. they open other doors. And I've just seen that in my own life when I'm in a space of being gra- grateful and gratitude and like not really caring about the result, more magical things happen, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that book by Wayne Dyer, like Real Magic, is amazing. Like, trick that out. That's a real amazing book about just sort of like, um, you know, he tells a story in the book. He's that he's on a train. He's on a train in New York, and he's looking at this kid, this guy, and he's got three kids, and the kids are just going nuts. They're going absolutely crazy, and he's just like, "Oh, they're so annoying. These kids are fucking." Guys controlling us. Get this. And he's saying all this in his mind. Can't these guys control their kids? The kids are going crazy. You know, the guy's just kind of just sitting there looking like a lump on a log. And he's like, this guy's just not, his kids are just going crazy. And like, you know, 20 minutes into the train ride, the, the guy kind of looks up at him and he just goes, Hey, I'm really sorry, but my kids just lost their mother today and I just don't know what to do. Hmm. And you go, Fuck. 
Yeah. That moment just became really real. Mm-hmm. And you go, fuck. You don't know what's going on around you always, right? So you're so, we're always so quick to judge and quick to and see. You see what, the surface. I mean, that's, yeah, you just see the, you just see what's happening. And you don't realize, oh, okay. So how do we find that space of like love and compassion? I mean, it's all that stuff that people talk about. But I think there's something to be said about this generation. And by no means am I an expert in this, but like finding more love and finding more happiness where you're at will certainly project you into a space you never dreamed possible. Right. Because I feel like the idea is that once you do get to that place that you will be happy and you'll, you'll have everything you ever wanted. And then I feel like, you know, most people look back and like, well, I could have been happy back then too. The things that bring happiness where it wasn't this, this was just uh, some goal I had. I'd love to see the statistics on like everyone who's ever won the lottery and how happy they are. Yeah. Or there a lot must of people be, apparently lose it. Or or had a goal point. or had a goal and reached it, whatever the goal was. Like they wanted to be the biggest, I don't know, NBA player yeah. ever, and they did. Like whatever it might be. I'm well, curious. Like I right? think I think the, a lot a lot of what Brent said goes to you know that we're very focused on the results. You know the getting to wherever we want to get to, and we don't really know our our expectations are kind of false. Right. We don't really know what there entails. We don't really know what's going to come out of that. Well, I think it's interesting, like this Instagram culture, like you only right. see the picture. Right. Right. So you don't see behind the scenes. No. You, don't you don't see don't, how that picture was came together. You don't, see that, that you don't see that girl or that guy that's got that six pack that's yeah. really been fucking starving and yeah. working out six yeah. hours a day yeah. and running 10 miles a day. You don't see the journey mm-hmm. of right. how they got there or they freak to tell you like, oh yeah, I've been running track since I was eight years old and I've mm-hmm. been running track and now I'm 23 and of course I still have this body. Like it's like some of it's not. It's like my body. Track exactly. exactly. There's a lot of I was going to say, gonna say that. So, <laughs> so I'm just saying that like you, you don't get that backstory where you forget that, that the journey, yeah. you know, the failure and journey is, you know, it's like Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces. Like you have to go fight the dragon in the cave to win yeah. the princess. And mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. it, there's that journey that I can just say in my own life, like, Without that journey, there's no way I could stay where I'm at today and keep it together and be grateful for what I have and have a family and the pressures of like being married and kids and work life balance. Like, there's no way I could keep it all together without some of this journey Mm -hmm. to build my character. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you just get to the prize, then what? You know what I mean? And but you don't know how to handle. Like and you, you don't said. know how to handle it. Like, well, you don't know what comes next because you're like, I, uh, you think you're content, but I think the problem is I don't think people know what makes them content. Yeah. Like no matter where you're at, you're building experience. And you know that, you know that, the, that the, you know, if you yeah. have a positive outlook, that day will come, that experience yeah. will pay Right. Off. And my good friend, Tim Story, who's this amazing motivational speaker, um, timstory.org, you can check him out. He, he always, and he's a minister by trade, but he has this, he does a, talk on sometimes you have to be left in order to get right where basically god will put you in a left experience and cement you in it so that when you get in your right experience you know how to stay there because you don't want to go back there yeah right where you're just like oh yeah that's why i'm over here that's why it's hard right now Mm -hmm. because i'm learning how to to be okay with it it's hard to it's hard to accept that when you're in the left but that's the that's the great lesson in life yeah is yeah. the letting go, you know, 
Listen, everyone thinks the world is suffering. The Buddha said, whatever, 6,000 years ago, it's a joyful participation in the suffering of the world. He said it then, not because the world wasn't suffering, because the world was suffering. Hmm. It's the same true today. It's like, how do you have joy in the, the suffering? Whatever that suffering is, it's all relevant, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a family mm -hmm. member dying, yeah. if it's work being hard, if yeah. it's a boss being it's an personal. asshole. It's like the alchemist. Like it was, you know, it's right. The journey. It's the journey. So how do you sort of be in that space and also be happy in that space and really embrace it. And people kind of go, God, that guy's special. Like, that's not a typical, I didn't really think I was, I didn't think I was going to get that from that person who was serving me or bringing me or being my, you know, we've yeah. all seen that where you meet that valet guy. You're like, God, that guy's really cool. He's, yeah. he's I remember yeah, that yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you remember him or you go to that hotel and yeah. he's there again. And you're like, God, I remember you. You were, you were yeah. a great last month. I mean, I go to certain places like restaurants because of one person, like their exactly. food is like, yeah. It's good, but like I expect food to be good everywhere. But there's always that one person that you connect with. You're like, you know that that person has like a higher purpose and has something that they're joyful about doing what they're. And they doing. might not even want to be there. At they that probably moment, don't. But they're putting. They probably don't. You know, they're they have yeah. that attitude, and uh, that's that why I love Undercover else. Boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's watch that show, show and yeah, it's like it's you just show. hear these real stories of people, and you're like, wow, those people are showing up for the job, and they've got four kids yeah. and a sick mom, and they're still there, and they get. To, they get to, yeah. It's always so hopeful. I, I always cry when I watch that. Have show. you ever considered being a speaker, like going on, like you know, I don't know, speaking tour and talking about your experiences? Because I think I, I said in the beginning of this podcast, obviously, like, and now like the latter half of this podcast, like I've been like definitely motivated myself because I do feel like at times I'm in that left. I do feel like times that. I'm like, I could be doing more. I could be doing better. I could be something that I quote unquote enjoy. And then I forget that, you know, when I look around me, which I don't like comparing myself, that I am happier than other people. Like I have quote unquote figured it out more than others, but I'm not content with myself because I'm my biggest critic. I'm sure Pat feels the exact Every same day. way. You know, like you feel like there's so much more. Right. And I think that hearing, you know, somebody like you who's gone through this, I think, and that's what we're missing, right? Like somebody like Pat and myself is we lack that stage of the character building still, right. right? Like we're still young, we're still fresh, we're still, you know, despite our belief that we could be doing more, we don't have the requisite experience to understand that where we are is probably a very good place compared to where we could be, you know, in 10, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, again, you don't, who knows where, uh, you never know what the future holds, right? So we never know, yeah. but it's sort of like, I mean... <clears throat> We're all, I mean, I think, I think we all, I think anyone who has drive is always like, how can I do more? What can I be? Yeah. I think, not that I don't have drive anymore, because I do have drive. I've always had drive. I've always looked for opportunities. I think, I just think there's, I, I think I've sort of realized that like fighting to get to where you want to be takes so much energy and there's just another way to get there. I think it's coming anyway. Right, I think, I th I think the universe wants us to be successful. Like I think the universe mm -hmm. wants life to grow. Like if we just look at the planet, like flowers want to bloom. They bloom in the side of cliffs through cracks, and they want to be beautiful. Right? Like the universe wants things to grow. They want us to right. be positive. So, if, and if we're one of the higher species on the planet, like I think the universe wants to do that. So what's stopping that from happening? I think it's I think it's our it's own yeah. it's our own selves kind of stop that because I think the universe is like I want you to be successful if you believe in God then like I think God is like you God gets more out of you being a success than you being a failure 
right? Because if everyone's like, God's awesome, he sucks, I lose everything every time I talk to God. Like, that's not good PR for God, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of yeah, like, how yeah. do you like, yeah. so I just think it's like, how do you sort of, like I said, for me, the, what's ever made the most sense is my teacher, um, this guy George Falcon, was my spiritual teacher for the last like almost 30 years. He passed away a few years ago, but you can go to like George Falcon and Brent Bolthouse on Vimeo. We have some videos up of his teachings that I used to record at my house that are pretty interesting. But he would always say like, there's no cap at the top, right? So like, don't, don't stop at happiness. And he'd always say that like the Hindus, they stopped at Nirvana and they didn't realize there was a place past Nirvana because Nirvana was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was like so angelic and so beautiful. So they kind of, he was like, there's a place beyond the place. So don't stop at happiness. There's no, no cap at the top. Like keep going, like mm-hmm. keep, keep like, keep reaching for the stars. Like don't, don't put yourself in a box. But he would talk about this frequency of like wanting and being jealous or angry or, and like you said, you want to do more. That's a frequency. And the wanting frequency is a low frequency. So being grateful, just moving into gratitude, saying like, I'm so grateful I got a podcast. It's so awesome that this exists. Like I get to do this. I get to meet interesting people. Like finding the, the, the gratitude in the space raises your frequency. And what he would always say is there's gifts at every frequency. Hmm. And the higher you go in frequencies, the more gifts there are. So it's kind of like, oh, if we can get out of this space and get to this space, What's up here is definitely better than what's down here. That's definitely interesting. I feel like I could sit here all day and talk about this because I definitely have thoughts on that too. But I uh, don't want to, you know, keep it too long. This has been awesome, Brent. Yeah, it's always it's a pleasure amazing. sitting down with you, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing everything that you do continuously from here. And thank you. Uh, I hopefully it. having you on for part three. So. Yeah. Part three. <laughs> neon Carnival. He's like, I want these guys out of my office. Neon Carnival is Saturday. Oh, yeah. I know. It's that's crazy. gonna be fun. So if you guys are around there, I mean, when the guest list closes, what? It's closed. The it's guest closed. list is closed. <laughs> Better luck next. But year. not weekend three. Oh, there you go. We're weekend three guest list. Weekend three. Coaches. And anyone that's on cowboy week, boots on. Anyone who's on guest list for weekend one is automatically put on guest list for weekend three. Oh wow! So wow. if you're bored and you, you feel like driving out, <laughs> we'll keep the Ferris wheel going. There you go. There you I go. Love it. Thanks, Thanks Brent. Man.